So, um, well, I think it's appropriate uh, this morning. Uh, I don't do this all the time. Sometimes I have jokes, but I'm going to open up with a, a, a kind of a popular comedy routine. So you guys can start off with a joke. Then we're going to kind of get into heavy stuff. You're like, oh, it's going to be a joke, joke sermon. No, it's not. But, you know, start you off with a joke. And so I saw this uh, comedian. He's not a Christian, by the way. This comedian, is you could tell by some of the jokes he tells, not a Christian, right? By some of the things he says and does. But he, uh, he describes this, like, really bizarre situation with a atheist sneezing on him in an elevator and I saw a long time ago as a kid and so basically this like atheist sneezes on this guy and he doesn't cover his mouth I mean all this just debris comes out you know like when you have like Windex not on like laser mode but the mist mode just debris right comes out and you know he just sneezes all over this comedian and he's like uh, you know he's like looks at him and goes God bless you Right, which really is kind of like he was really saying in his mind, "You're rude. Cover your mouth." You know, and that, you know, we say words, but we don't really say words, kind of thing. We're thinking other things, and so the atheist goes on to correct the comedian in this. And trust me, you're going to see how this is connected to heaven because this reveals this is a very popular comedian at the time and shows you how views of misperceptions of heaven even affect popular culture. But this, this comedian goes on to, you know, the atheist goes on to correct the comedian and says, oh, you know, he said, God bless you, right? Oh, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And the comedian says, well, what am I supposed to say to an atheist when he sneezes? When you die, nothing happens? <laughs> I mean, what do you, I mean, gazoon type, but that sounds like, I don't know, some, something from, never mind. It doesn't sound right. Um, so the, the atheist starts mocking the comedian as the skit goes and everything and uh, for believing in God and what he thinks happens after he dies. And he's like, so what do you believe happens after you die? And he's like, well, you know, I go up, my soul goes to heaven. I get to see my family members. They're hanging out like it's an airport. And, uh, you know, my soul just kind of floats and flutters around, kind of like this Casper the Ghost kind of reality. And he says, and, that's, and that is typically the, the description we get of heaven in our culture, you know, kind of like Casper in the clouds kind of thing. But as a comedian describes, uh, you know, heaven, he's just the atheist is mocking him, making fun of him, you know, belittling him. And so, you know, how silly, you know, you could be to believe in heaven. And the comedian just gets tired of this. He says, okay, so what do you believe happens when you die? And he's like, well, when I die, my body is going to be fertilizer, and I'm going to fertilize a big, beautiful tree, and I will rise again as a tree. And the comedian says, and this is kind of harsh, but, you know, this guy's kind of interesting take on this. He's like, you know, I wanted to let it sink in a bit that he thought he was going to be a tree. And I, and I hope he does return as a tree. And then some sweaty lumberjack from the woods comes dragging this big, you know, rusty saw and axe, dragging to the mud, chops him down, boof, 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 you know. And, uh, and, and then he takes the tree, drags him to the mud, and they pound him up, saw him up, put him into paper, pound him down for paper, and they print the Bible on him. <laughs> so that's the, now it's a joke. I have atheist, you know, I know atheists that love that joke. It's just a, it's a, it's a funny thing, right? Uh, and you never forget a joke like that. Like you can be a young kid hearing that and gosh, the flow of that joke is really something. But it, it does reveal to us a very popular understanding and thinking about what heaven is. You know, a place where you go to, you know, go up to the clouds and you got these, you know, chubby cherubs, you know, and St. Peter at the pearly you know, gates at a cloud city. 
kind of thing. You're this wispy, disembodied soul hanging out with your you know, friends and relatives and everything. And that's just heaven, full stop. There's no further description. There's no further qualification at all. And that, and you know, so yeah, people, people think that, you know, obviously you die, your body goes in the ground. And so you think, yeah, your soul goes up there. And that, there's, there's truth to that. And uh, when I was in um, Southern California, um, I'm from Orange County. So I heard this very like popular phrase when I was like a, in my 20s. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Who's heard that? Okay, so some people have heard it, and we do have a high California population in here, so I just, you know, would figure somebody would hear basic instructions. It spells out the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, right? That's a book for me, kind of thing. So, I mean, so that's what people envision heaven as basic, and you're leaving earth. You're exiting earth and reality and creation in the sky kind of, kind of realm. And this is how New Testament scholar N.T. Wright kind of puts this kind of thing. Our culture is so fixated on dying and going to heaven, then the whole of Scripture is, is about heaven coming to earth. And so the point that Wright is making here is the final and eternal state, that what's talked about most in heaven is not what, uh, what talks about most in the Bible is not what our culture thinks it is. It's more of a popular idea, but what's talked most about in Scripture is this final state of restoration of God re renewing all things here on earth. And so this morning, we're going to see kind of the order of events of like how God's going to restore physical creation, our resurrection bodies. It includes our, our, our bodies being restored. And I'm not going to say something like new or weird or heretical or strange. This is something that the Bible teaches and historic Christianity has affirmed for 2,000 years so it's kind of like mainstream here so i'm going to give you guys just a general order sure you could put events in between here and you can you know find fine tooth comb kind of slice things up more but these are the general order of the events i'm going to give three kind of events of the order here uh, that that is that it has basic agreement so number one and i'm going to review this at the end by advice of my wife before christ comes back we will be in a temporary disembodied soul in the presence of Jesus Christ, awaiting our resurrection body and new heaven and new earth. That's number one. Number two, when Christ returns, we will get our resurrection body and then we will be caught up with Christ while God transforms the creation into heaven on earth. Three, our final and eternal state is forever in new heavens and new earth. This is our ultimate hope, our final hope as Christians. This is what we look forward to. And so I'm going to kind of look at these, but we're going to see these as we look at the text here, uh, going verse by verse, looking at Romans 8.18 and following. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, as I said last time, glory does refer to the glory of God. That's what makes heaven so great is the infinite glory of God. And as I said, because God is infinite, you're not going to be bored in heaven. I know a lot of people who are worried about heaven being boring and not like exciting. It's like uh, his majesty and beauty is so amazing. It's like when you see a beautiful painting of art or whatever, um, or you watch like a sunset. You know, after a while, I mean, this is going to kind of reveal me, you know, for who I am. But, you know, sometimes I get tired of the sunset after looking at it for 10 minutes. I know some people can keep on going, but frankly, 10 minutes is good for me. I know some people give me looks like, wow, what a, what a barbarian, you know, what a Philistine up here. But, you know, after 10 minutes of looking at the, the sunset, you're like, all right, I'm ready to go back inside and do something else. 
But, you know, like, and, and there's paintings, right? People eventually walk away from paintings after looking at them. They get bored of looking at them. And, but you have this initial awe, this initial, like, wow, this is so cool. When you're looking at a painting, when you're looking at the sunset, you, you're just kind of struck by it. And that, like, initial awe is times that by 100, and that's not even close to how amazing the awe and a, just majesty and infinitely beautiful and amazing good God is. That's, you can't even, even compare that that's it's a faint analogy but it's kind of an analogy there and this is how paul puts it when he uh, how amazing heaven is he parallels it with how things are now uh, and, it, and it kind of matches with the verse we're looking at second corinthians 4 uh, 17 through 18 for this light momentary affliction people go through some pretty hard things in life he calls it a light momentary affliction because he's comparing it to the glory of eternity is preparing for us an eternal weight beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are seen but the, to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal so there's a common theme in scripture here that heaven is so amazing beautiful just unbelievable you, you just cannot compare it to any instance of suffering that you've ever gone through or going through right now nothing in this life the sadness and the hardship it's like a snap compared to just the amazing beauty of eternity and if you read the new testament it says actually nothing can really compare to the joys of, of heaven nothing even even our our joys now can't compare to the joys that we're going to have i love how the uh theologian and philosopher jonathan edwards uh, put puts it here he says to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better, not finitely better, but infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. So whatever you're imagining heaven, like right now in your mind, like this is what you think, you have like a certain, everybody has like a certain image of what they think heaven is. What you're thinking of right now is heaven. That isn't heaven because whatever you're thinking, heaven is better than that. And this is not just like my opinion, like I'm just like pontificating philosophy up here. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 9. It says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor the heart of man, has, man imagined, you can't even imagine how great it is, what God has prepared for those who love him. So, whatever you think it is right now, it ain't that, it's better than that. Now, just because we can't fully comprehend the greatness of heaven doesn't mean we can't talk about it, right? We can't fully comp comprehend God. We are finite. God is infinite. We can't fully comprehend the Lord. We can't do that. But we can know, for instance, that God is good. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. We can know certain things about him without being able to fully comprehend it. And so with, with heaven, we're in this life, we're not able to fully understand how great it's going to be. But we can know certain things about heaven. And uh, what, what we're we'll looking at is basically what Paul is teaching here is that, is that it's not that we go to heaven, but that it's a future transformation of the earth. And look at Romans 8, 19 through 20. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. In Greek there, that could be like translated as like vanity, for instance. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, to, uh, subjected it in hope. So when it's talking about the revealing of the sons of God, it's including that, that men and women alike both have the rights and privileges of sons of God, and they're uh, demonstrated. You're already a son of God by faith in Jesus Christ, both male and female, but it's demonstrated when Christ returns through the resurrection, through, through God pronouncing that you're righteous before him in the blood and sacrifice of Christ. Now, what I found just so 
so interesting in studying through uh, this text is that I was surprised to find out that scholars, up to 95%, are saying that, because I always thought this was about angels, like angels, you know, like eagerly longing, but it's not that. This is speaking of creation, and this is so interesting and kind of weird for our minds to understand, but as I get through it, I, I trust we'll understand it more. But he's treating creation and talking about like subhuman creation as if it were a person. Like you see things like in the text, eagerly longing of something. Creation is spoken of as not willingly. So longing, eager, that's like, you know, a rock or a tree can't, you know, like a tree doesn't get eager. It doesn't have anything willingly. It's an animate object. And so what the author is doing here, something what uh, is done in the book of Proverbs, if you guys have read that, but the, the, in the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon personifies wisdom as a lady. So it speaks of something in person, say maybe wisdom, and speaks of it as if it were a lady. And so what goes on here in subhuman creation, rocks, trees, birds, and bees, everything in creation that's not human is spoken of as if it were human. It's personification. This is not the only time this is done of Scripture, uh, especially with creation. This is done in the Psalms. It's done all throughout the Bible where... where uh, where, you know, as, 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 as the writers of the Old Testament who were Jewish, they were writing and they were speaking of creation as if it were a person. Looking at Psalm 65, verses 12 through 13. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. Like, you're like, hills don't do anything. They're just like exist, right? No, he's using personification. He's speaking about the hill as if it is a person. The meadows close themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing joy together. So yeah, I mean, this is speaking about creation as if it were a person, personification. You see the same thing in Isaiah 24.4. The earth mourns and withers. So the earth is mourning. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. So it speaks here of creation, dancing with joy, mourning, going through the full range of emotion. It's the personification of creation. And Paul, who was a first century Jew, would have memorized large portions of the Old Testament. And he's referencing here and using this kind of Old Testament way of speaking of creation as a person. And he goes on to say in verse 20, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, as I said, creation is subject to futility and vanity, meaning it does not achieve the purpose it was originally and immediately intended for. God's original purpose was to have creation uh, represent his glory and, and be like the new heavens and new earth, be like heaven, to be beautiful, to be blissful completely. And uh, we all know Adam messed that up. And because Adam messed that up, God subjected to futility out of his justice. He's like, okay, you failed to, to keep my law. And so out of justice, he is going to subject creation his design to futility. And what's really interesting about this is from a scientific viewpoint is that without, if there were no intervention from God, say in the universe, say we just, you know, just speaking from a non-Christian scientific viewpoint, if God did not intervene and we let the clock go and go and go, what would eventually happen in the universe around us is what's called a heat death. That is to say the whole universe is on its way to being just completely just nothingness, vain, dark, all these kind of things. 
if God does not intervene. It's on its way to just breaking down. The earliest predictions, you don't have to worry about it. You're like, oh man, is the heat death going to happen in my life? I hope it doesn't, you know. No, it's about, you know, earliest predictions are 22 billion years. So you got some time, okay. That's how far off it is. Um, but of course, it's not going to happen because Jesus is going to return. And we don't have to worry about this heat death because Christ is going to make all things new. The, de the decay that's in our, our universe is, is, is going to be brought new. He will restore and make all things new as the word of God promises. There's going to be a restoration of all things. And that, that helps us in the here and the now because it prevents things from being meaningless and purposeless right now. I love the way how philosophers and theologian William Lane Craig puts it describing kind of like what it's like on a naturalistic view and a view that denies God's existence what things would look like if there's no God if things play out as it were if you let the clock run and run and run on a naturalistic worldview and a view that doesn't believe in God everything is ultimately destined to destruction in the heat death of the universe as the universe expands it grows colder and colder as its energy is used up eventually all the stars will burn out all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes there will be no life no heat no light only the corpses of dead stars and galaxies expanding into the endless darkness in light of that end it's hard for me to understand how our moral choices have any sort of significance there's no moral moral accountability the universe is neither better nor worse for what we do our moral lives become vacuous because they do not have any kind of cosmic significance now just let that sink in there the final end without god intervening is truly futile as romans is vain nothing is Ecclesiastes would say the vanity of vanities, just pointless, no ultimate hope or meaning in a godless universe. Now, as Paul has made clear, this is not the fate because that futility, the vanity, the, the, the breaking down of our bodies, the breaking down of, of, of the, our environment, whatever it is, that's going to come to an end. Not as it is in a godless universe. It's going to end. And this is what it says in the rest of our text, Romans 22 and following. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. See, it's personifying. It isn't literally like groan like a woo, you know. <laughs> no, it's personifying creation. Speaking of it, just kind of breaking down and falling apart together in the pains of childbirth until now. So there's this kind of futility, this vanity, this kind of pain that goes on until Christ comes back and all things are new. And um, I've never had a child before, but my wife has. I mean, you know, I didn't, you know what I mean. I didn't give birth to a, a child. That came off so weird. Um, so, yeah, my, my wife's described, you know, like how uncomfortable it is to be pregnant. Like, you know, you kind of like roll around and turn, toss and turn in a bed. She's like, when I got Kenny out, it's like, oh, you know, so Johnny said in her song, kind of like finally breathe again, you know. And so all that pain and suffering is not just for nothing. It's for something. And so the pain and suffering, the breaking down of the universe, it's for something. It's for God to come and make all things new. And that, that joy will, will arrive. And it's like almost like you have a baby and you almost forget about the pain uh, at least that's how my wife describes it again <laughs> so look at uh, Romans uh, 8 22 through 25 and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await for the adoption of sons we're already adopted by sons but we're demonstrated by, it says that by faith in Christ, we're already adopted as sons, both male and female. But it's demonstrated through resurrection. The redemption of our bodies. For in the hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. 
for who, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for patience. Wait for it with patience. One of the things about our, our English word of hope is it kind of, kind of uh, denotes kind of uncertainty. So if I say, I hope someone's going to get saved, or I hope this happens, or I hope to accomplish my goals, that may or may not happen at any given point, but I, it's kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I want something to happen. I desire for a feeling. I have a feeling or desire for something to happen, and it may be uncertain. The Greek word for hope is not like that. It's, 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 you're looking forward to something that you currently do not have, and you know it's going to happen. So that's our posture as Christians, is we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. We're not like, oh, maybe he's going to come back or not. We're not sure. Flip a coin. No, we're, we have confidence about it, and we're looking forward to it. That's how the Greek word for hope is described here, which is different, I understand, than our English word. And so the final state we're looking forward to is not this kind of Casper the Ghost kind of existence like our, in the clouds, like our culture thinks it is. Rather, we're looking forward to like a final state of heaven, which includes our very bodies being resurrected. The whole world being, the whole universe really, whole creation being transformed. That's really the ideal state, the ultimate state we hope for as Christians. And uh, as Romans 8.23 says, it says this. We who have the first uh, fruits grown inwardly as we await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's our hope, that our bodies and all creation will be redeemed when our, body, our resurrection bodies are different than our bodies right now. Like we age right now, we go through aging and, and pain, but our resurrection bodies are not like that. They're glorious, beautiful, indestructible, indestructible resurrection bodies. That's what they are. So they're not like, you know... Like, you know, I'm, I'm starting to lose my hair in the back, you know, uh, and, and things are breaking down as I'm, I'm kind of hitting the, getting towards 40. Well, your resurrection body is not going to be like that. People like, you know, what age am I going to be? You know, am I going to be like a baby or am I going to be like an old, older? Well, no, it's going to be your ideal state because your body doesn't feel the negative effects of aging in the resurrection body. This is how Jesus put the resurrection. It's, it's very non-Casper the ghost-like. It's very bodily. You're coming out of tombs here in John 5, 28-29, the words of Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So they're, they're coming out of tombs, and it's a single hour. It's a single moment where there's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. A single hour is what it says here. Single moment or hour of believers and unbelievers. Now, what happens after this, to, because people want to know, okay, Jesus comes back and I'm like, I haven't died yet. Right? Or what happens to my grandma who's passed on? What, you know, what happens? How does this whole process work? And believe it or not, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 describes what happens if Christ returns. If you're still you know, walking about, you're not, in the, uh, you know, you're not six feet under, as they would say. Uh, this is what, how it describes it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's like pass away. It's a euphemism for death. For those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Uh, again, a euphemism for death. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, so if you're walking around, you're not six feet under, you're alive who are left at the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from a heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an angel and with the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So I guess the Presbyterians are going first. <laughs> it's a joke. I love Presbyterians. I'm just joking. Uh, no, it's that those who are six feet under are going to rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, what's interesting is the word rapture comes from the Greek word here, which is harpizo. And that means to be snatched up or taken away. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like rapture. Well, the reason is the Latin translates this into rapuro, where we get the English word rapture. So people ask me, you know, do I believe in the rapture? I'm like, well, yeah, I do, because every Christian should, because it's taught right here in 1 Thessalonians. It just comes right up. But when people ask me if I believe in the rapture, what they think is something very, very specific, like, do I believe in everything taught in the Left Behind series? Which I don't. I think it has some real biblical problems with it. And in the Left Behind series, and I was raised this way, uh, you know, if your parents start missing, you're like, maybe they were raptured and I was left behind. So it's kind of like this secret rapture that no one knows about, only believers and the unbelievers are like, where did everybody go? Is it like a trick? What's, you know, uh, is it, everybody's disappeared. And, you know, so if you can't find your family, you start getting really paranoid and everything. But according to the word of God, this is an unmistakable, very clear public event. You know, you, it won't be like, oh, wow, we disappeared. What happened? No, you're going to know what's, what's happening here. It's very, very public. I mean, Bodies are coming out of tombs. I mean, kind of thing here. This is a big deal. Uh, and look at how it puts it in 1 Thessalonians. It's not a secret rapture. 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from a heaven with a cry of command, with a, the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God. So sound, that sounds like bombastic. That sounds like a big, loud, huge event. So you're not going to miss it and be like, well, well I, guess, I guess I was left behind or something. No, that's not how the Word of God describes it. And what happens is when we're caught up, and those who are alive are caught up, and then the dead in Christ rise first, they're caught up with the Lord, is as they're, as they're caught up, the, the earth at some point is, is recreated and redone. It is... Um, it is made new. And this is how 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, this is why I had the summary points, because this is a lot of, a lot of verses we're going over about uh, the order of events. So hang in there. Stay with me. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. So there's a single day of the Lord that's described here, and it's, it, says, it says that there'll be a single hour of the resurrection of the just and the unjust. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be live in holiness and godliness? That's living in light of eternity right there. Waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to the promise which we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells 
So in Greek, dissolve is a very unfortunate translation. It means destruct, destroyed, much like when we die, our bodies are destroyed. But God takes that, that, that physical matter from our body and re-transforms us into a, a, a new resurrection body. And much of the same thing is taking place here. The, the matter from the earth that's burned up and that matter is taken and recreated a new heavens and new earth. And this is how Revelation, one of my favorite books in the Bible, it's hard to understand sometimes, describes the restoration of creation in a very beautiful way. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven of God, prepared a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. See, heaven is described as relationship with God. That's the, that's the center. The reason why heaven is so great is because God is there. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So the Apostle John is teaching here, heaven, its final and complete state is not a cloud palace with wispy spirits and Casper the ghost, you know, like just, you know, kind of like this ethereal existence. That's not what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to a restoration, paradise restored on earth. An earth that has no futility, vanity, pain, evil, suffering, crying, mourning, all of those things. God will make all things new in that beautiful day. There will be eating, dancing. You have a resurrection body. You're not like a, you know, Casper the Ghost. You imagine Casper the Ghost eating like a pizza and he just like goes right through him, right? No, you have a physical resurrection body. Laughter, joy, recreation, enjoyable work, and wonderful tasks that we will do. And all of these things are transformed on a new level because there's no pain and suffering associated with it. There's no more sin to block that enjoyment that we, that we have in this life. You will see family and friends there in our resurrection bodies. It's not like you look totally different. You know? Like God's like, I'm going to trick people and make all their bodies different so they're not going to know their family members. Like God's some wild and crazy guy. No, that's not how it works. And there will be animals there because that's a part of the original creation. Animals, right? Uh, so yeah, they, there'll be a restored uh, creation, restored ecosystem. Everything is restored. It's a new heavens and new earth. It's, a, it's what creation is now, but way, way, way better. So then you're like, hearing me talk about this, you're like, so wait, like why is our culture so confused at comedians that don't even know the Bible or not even interested in Christianity? How can we get things so wrong to, to have a, this kind of wispy Casper the Ghost kind of existence all the time? Well, I think the mistake that's made about heaven is a half-truth, and it's found in the Bible. And I think we as people have this uh, just obsessive focus on this life, and we're living this life right now. So I guess it would make sense that we do have this. We, 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 we try to make everything about this life, and we focus on it, and we make it all about this life and before Jesus comes back. But see, this has happened because of a half-truth, because the Bible and the Christian church has taught since the very beginning, okay, so... If, Grandpa dies, or I die, or whoever dies, or their, their body goes into the tomb. And my soul will go with, to be with Jesus Christ. That's taught in the scripture, thief on the cross. Today he'll be, be with me in paradise. Uh, Paul says he wants to die. Um, he's not suicidal, but he is actually saying, I, I want to serve you guys. So I'm going to stay alive to serve, but I would be better if I went with Jesus. 
So when he dies, he goes to Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it is in the Bible. And Hebrews says it very clearly too. In Hebrews 12, 22 through 23, this is how people have taken this one portion, these little samples of scripture, and they've made it all about heaven. And that's our heavenly state. So Hebrews 12, 23. 12, 22 through 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festival gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in, in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of the, of the righteous made perfect. Now, most scholars will tell you that is a reference to believers because angels are already perfect. So these are made perfect. And so these refer to spirits or souls that are dwelling before Christ. We see that in the book of Revelation as well. And so, yeah, the Christian church, the Bible does teach, if you die now, you are a disembodied soul in the presence of Christ, and it's described as paradise. It's not a bad time, but our ultimate thing we're looking forward to, the thing that will be for trillions and trillions and trillions of years, you know, because Jesus is going to come back, and those souls will be reunited to their bodies, and the vast majority of our existence is going to be in the new heavens and new earth. So I want to review the order before I, I go into talking about some final application. Go into the order of these events just so we can get our minds around them, so we understand why this misunderstanding has happened, because I think we're too focused on this life. We're, we're very focused on what happens before Christ comes back rather than after Christ comes back. But it says, before Christ comes back, there will be a temporary, this is not our final state, disembodied soul in the presence of Jesus Christ awaiting, so we're looking forward to, even though we're in paradise, we're looking forward to a body, a resurrected body and the new heavens and new earth. And so when Christ returns, we will get our resurrection body. We'll be caught up with Christ. God will transform the creation in the new heavens and new earth. Our final and eternal state is forever in the new heavens and new earth. That is our final and ultimate hope. That is what we look forward ultimately to as Christians. And so, as I say, we are focused on this life. And we, we, we focus on this little tiny kind of splice or little tiny period that we're in. And I'm going to use a prop for this. I'm not a prop pastor. You know, if you're a first-time visitor, I never use props, and I don't open up with a ridiculous comedic routine like I do. But, you know, we're, we're doing all sorts. It's, it's I, I, you know, I thought, you know, it's a, a vacation weekend, so, you know, might as well, you know, let my hair down a little, right? So, so you know, all right. I was telling Brent, I was induced, he's like, what are you going to be, like, Carrot Top up there with props, you know? Um, no one remembers Carrot Top. I guess he's not a very accomplished kid. Some people do. Some people know who Carrot Top is. That's, that's great. Um, terrific. So we are just like obsessively focused on this, this little pink portion. Um, don't read into the color significance. We just taped it around. Don't worry. Um, we are obsessively focused on this pink portion. We, like, we're like, okay, I'm going to get to this point, and maybe it'll get better if I go to this point and this point. And we're like, oh, hey, <laughs> you got like all of eternity right here. Like this is like, you know, and really, if, we're gonna, if this is really an accurate prop, this rope's going to go on forever. 
And we're like focused, hyper-focused on, oh man, I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be so great. I can't wait until I get out of my parents' house, you know, and have some independence in college. You know, that's what you think. You're like, I can finally be free of their tyrannical rulings, you know, kind of thing, right? And I, I can't wait. And then you're in college, you're like, man, this is not fun either. I can't wait until I get out of college and finally get a job and start making some money instead of accruing all the student loan debt, which may not be a problem for much longer, hopefully. I don't know. You'll see. Um, you know, so, you know, you're, you're like, oh, I can't wait. Now I get to get, get this job. I want to get married now, you know? And, you know, okay, I get married. I'm looking forward to that. And then, like, now I want to have kids. And you're like, okay, now that I have kids, I want them out of the house. I'm tired of them. Like, this is, yeah, go to college. Bye. I don't care how much it costs. I'm willing to spend anything to have you. Okay, sorry. This is... Maybe he has personal problems we don't know about. <laughs> so, you know, you're, all right, yeah. And then you're like, okay, now I can't wait till retirement. And then you're like, at retirement, you're like, yeah, I'm ready to die now. You know, I mean, no, that's a little harsh. But, I mean, we, but we realize we put all of our stock and investment on these little things, and we're missing the big picture. And so if one of these stages, you know, say something happens bad, your kids, your wife, your job, whatever it is, and then one of these stages are messed up, and we're like, we're, we're so crushed, and it is sad, but if, if we have this to look forward to, it's like, oh, wow, this is like a snap of the fingers. And actually, James actually says that our, our life is but a vapor. This represents it. I mean, this, imagine this rope just going on and on, and we're, we're focused, and we're finding, ironically, our hope and our joy in the next stage of life, rather than counting our blessings and our trials and our difficulties we're having right now, you know, because, like, I, it's, like, so weird. Like, I remember, like, the worst stage of my life, I, I felt pretty bad, is when I had to, like, be up with Kenny all night, and he would scream and cry and I would have to get up and I'd get like two hours of sleep and I didn't want to talk to anybody and I was like working here, you know? And so I was like, oh God, I just hope this ends. I hope I, I never, you know, I <laughs> have a kid again. Then after that, like, you know, a year goes by and I'm like, I want to have kids again. We should have kids, honey. I'm thinking about maybe we can figure something out here. And so we don't enjoy each stage. And if something goes wrong in these stages, we fall apart. So that we're not finding our joy in each stage, and we're not, and 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 then these these our, our joy is based on these stages. Things kind of fall apart when 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 they when they go south, and we're not focusing on the big picture here. We're not f focused on God's plan. We're and so we're, we're we're thinking about okay, I'll be a soul here, you know, for this short time. But everybody's forgetting about this massive rope that goes on and on. That we're going to be in heaven, glorifying God for trillions and trillions. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. Like our our minds can't wrap our, we can't really wrap our minds around it really, but for trillions and trillions of years, it'll never stop. That's the whole history of our lives. And we realize that, you know, we, we hear someone going through a difficult time or um, my wife heard of somebody recently who, um, who got in a, a car accident and they, their child uh, is not able to walk anymore. Uh, and it's just infant. It's so sad. And we, we think like, God, is God being evil in these events here? And it's like, well, when you think about the fact that this is going to go on forever, and ever and ever I mean this is like a snap of the fingers it's like the quickest trial ever compared to eternity the history of our whole lives going on and so if we live our life not for this point or this point or this point but for this we're gonna we're gonna find deep joy even in the most difficult and most heart-wrenching situations and so the question people have is okay well how do I get from here 
to care? Do I have to work and strive and be really good? And the answer is no. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ, and he will give you this eternal, amazing life. The life that was intended for this world, that the design plan was, was, was sorted. We will experience that for all eternity and enjoy God. And so when you realize how brief this life is, you learn to also treasure it, but also look forward to what God has in store forever and ever. If you trust in Christ this morning and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you will experience glory that is never ending and joy that is never ending. That is our blessed hope. That is what we look forward to. Let us pray.